Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us online. Hey, just to follow up on what Johnny said, um, yeah, thank you. Um, I would think I speak for the pastors, and they mentioned staff out there. There's seven of us, uh, kind of for me, at least the second family. Uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun to work here. I've been in churches where it isn't so much fun. Um, I enjoy this. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, a great opportunity to serve with you to try and move Christ's name forward. So once a year, I go see my family doc and we go through the um, annual physical and I got a family history of stroke. Both grandpas died of stroke, dad had a serious stroke. So he's really, really interested in my blood pressure numbers. And they are just not numbers to him, and particularly the, the first one, you know, 120, 130, 140, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference to him. Um, that number is a symptom of my cardiovascular health, which, as someone who's overseeing my health, he's, yeah, he's real curious about that. Well, in the same way, your obedience, my obedience, it's just not an action. It's an indicator to God of what's going on inside. And I, I want to dial in on that this morning. Why does God care so much about our obedience? So if you've got a, um, a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel 15, we're going to go through um, verses all the way through, the whole chapter 1 to 35, asking this question, why does our obedience, your obedience, my obedience, why does it matter to God? As you're turning there, get you up to speed. We're in a series called Reliant. Um, it's the transition of Israel from a loose federation of states to um, a theocracy. And because Israel is in the promised land and, and feels threatened, they told God they want a king. And that's a sign that they're not really reliant on God. They're reliant on a human institution. God says through Samuel, I don't think that's a good idea. Because the king's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take from you. But they say, I, mean, I don't care. I want a king. And so God says, I'm going to answer that request. And, and you're going to see in the end who you need is really me. So Saul is anointed as the first king. And, and the wording is very interesting. He doesn't use the word king. He uses prince. He uses ruler. And that's to say, Saul, your authority is not absolute. You serve under me. Well, apparently Saul didn't get that message. He was told by Samuel, I want you to go to Gilgal and I want you to wait seven days and I'll come and offer the sacrifice. Saul got freaked out and he thought, I better, my army's slipping away, I better offer the sacrifice. And Samuel shows up as soon as he's done and said, yeah, that was a bad idea. And God's going to take the kingdom from you. Last week in 1 Samuel 14, we saw Saul's son Jonathan step out in faith, uh, trusting the Lord. And Saul, foolishly calling a fast, to try and get more out of God, uh, showing that he's really out of touch with God. So that's where we are, 1 Samuel 15. It starts this way. Then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Okay, Saul, you're going to get another chance to show if you're listening to God or not. Here we go. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he set himself up against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him. Put him to death. Both man, woman, child, and infant. Ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And we read this and we think, really? This is God commanding his people to do it? Uh, pastor, what about 
the loving kindness, what about the mercy, what about the, 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 the grace? That is all true of God. But here's all, what is also true of God. He is just, he is holy, and he is righteous, and he will judge sin. Now, lest you think Amalek is innocent in this, Deuteronomy tells us what happened when Israel was coming out of the promised land. It says this about Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked you among the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary. And the connection, he did not fear God. I will take lives in my own hands. I will take the vulnerable. That doesn't play well with God, taking advantage of the vulnerable. So God is, is not just willy-nilly and I'm going to judge these guys. And this. No, God is just. He is never unjust in his judgment. At times he's gracious and merciful. But God will judge sin. It is beyond the scope of this message to, for me to talk about the judgment of God. But just so we know, God will judge sin. That's what's going on here. Verse 4 Saul makes a summons. I'll let you read that. Verse 5, they set this ambush. In verse 6, Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart. Go down from the, among the Amalekites, so that I not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. How did that message get translated? I don't know. How did the Amalekites not think, wait, 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 where are these guys going? We don't know. But God's saying there's people that don't deserve judgment. I want them out. Verse 7, we get, starts the report of the battle. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. End of statement. That's it? That's all we're getting on the battle? Big win for Israel? Yep. As we said, this is not a comprehensive history. This is a history that you and I might learn from people's relationship with God. And we might grow from it. This is a word breathed by God through the prophet, that you and I might grow. Well, what is it that God would have us to learn? Well, we'll start in verse 8. He, being Saul, captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And we're not willing to destroy them utterly. But... Everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Why would you keep the king of the Amalekites, Agag? Because back in the day, if you wanted to show your prowess, if you wanted to show, you, you took the conquering king and, and he was a prisoner and you said, look here, look what I've done. This is Saul going, look at me. And the best of the livestock, well, that makes sense to us, doesn't it? I mean, this is Nebraska. We farm, we ranch. That's, that's, that's money in your bottom line, right? That's good eats. So, so we'll hang on to that. Whoa, 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 whoa. But that wasn't, that wasn't the instruction, Saul. Utterly destroy. So, verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I've made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. You know what God needs from you and me? He has a willingness to submit. I don't need your position. I don't need your authority. I don't need your ability. I need your willingness to submit. 
And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Well, why is Samuel distressed and why he's crying out? Because he's going to have to go drop some bad news on Saul the next day. You know, some of us who follow Jesus are offended by what people around us do and they offend what's going on in culture, and, and that's okay. But our heart never needs to stop beating for these people. We need to be grieved. Samuel is not looking forward to dropping the bomb on Saul. In fact, he's distressed about it. You are probably surrounded by coworkers and friends and neighbors. You're carpooling. You're in class with people who don't know Jesus. I hope that grieves you. I hope you never get to the point that ah, they deserve it. That doesn't keep Samuel from speaking God's word. But in his heart, he is grieved by the message he's got to come deliver to Saul. Verse 12. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul to Carmel. Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Does that surprise anyone? <laughs> that Saul set up a monument to himself? Given that, does that surprise you that he took the When God said, put the king to death, you're going to hold on to him as a trophy. Does that surprise you? Who's Saul living for here? Me. So, verse 13, Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. Oh, there's the prophet. Everybody recognizes Samuel's the prophet of God. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Really? Really? That's what Samuel says in verse 14. Really? What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. So if you carried out, why am I hearing these livestock? Verse 15. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, so we're blaming, wasn't me, it was the people. Spared the best of sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. Two coping mechanisms there when I don't obey. I'll blame and I'll rationalize. Oh, no, no, no. We're going we're gonna to save these to sacrifice to God. Oh, I'm sure God will, will warm to that. He'll come right around to that. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Verse 17, Samuel said, is it not true Though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. That's a rhetorical question. Saul, you were from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the lowest of the low. That's the lowest of the tribes. And then among the tribe of Benjamin, your family was the least. You were the least of the least. You were the least likely. But I raised you up because I wasn't impressed with Status or position, I put you in a position. But you decided, yeah, I'm not listening to you. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. So here's the question, verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You think this guy will ever repent? 
Think of it say, you're right, I, 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 forgive me? Verse 20, then Saul the same, said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. No, you didn't. And went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. Well, you were supposed to destroy everybody and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, except for the king. But here we go, the blame. The people took some of the spoil and oxen and the choices of things devoted to destruction. Why? To sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. Again, we're going to blame and we're going to rationalize. So here's what God thinks of this blaming and rationalization. Verse 22 and 23, Samuel turns poetic. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. I'm not interested in your sacrifice as much as I'm interested in your obedience. So, you know, we talk to you about considering giving to the Lord's work. Let me just, let me just tell you, the Father, Son, and Spirit aren't in heaven thinking, oh my goodness, if we don't get their money, I don't know how we're going to fund this. You know, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need my money. But our money is an indicator of our heart. We talk about you considering serving the Lord in one way or another. And God is out there going, my goodness, if they don't get in the picture, I don't know what we're going to do. No, God will, will raise up the human resources to do it. But the way you spend your time and money is an indicator of your heart. That's what he's saying here. I don't need your sacrifice. I need your heart. Behold, just in case you missed it, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, when you and I decide, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. That's nah, not a big deal. I don't think I'm going to do that. For rebellion is the sin of divination. Divination is you and I go out and we find some other God. Your disobedience, my disobedience at the heart is rebellion. I'm going to serve. What does Saul say? I, I feared the people. Okay, you're serving the people rather than me. Just like that blood pressure number matters, your, my disobedience matters. And insubordination, that's right, I'm not going to do what you say, Lord, is as iniquity and idolatry. When we disobey, we're insubordinate. Yes, we are involved in bowing down to an idol. Maybe it's peer pressure, maybe it's money, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's whatever. Conclusion, Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord... He also rejected you from being king. Remember we asked this question? Why does your obedience, why does my obedience matter to God? Here's the deal. Our obedience tells us how much or how little we value God. Your obedience, my obedience tells us how much or how little we value God. Now we saw Saul, make an idol of people. Nothing wrong with having relationships. Nothing wrong with having friends. But when they become bigger than God, that's an issue. When we start obeying them rather than God, that's an issue. That can be true with anyone or anything in our lives. And I've got a whole list of issues that I deal with. Let me just share one. As a kid, I grew up in a home where my dad was angry. And so food became a comfort for me. It became a place, unwittingly, unknowingly, where I went to get relief from my dad's anger. 
So as a kid, coming home from school, I'd get a bag of gumdrops out and I'd get some Kool-Aid and that'd be my after-school snack. How much, how much sugar was there in that? Then at dinner, my mom, my mom was this like 90-pound woman, but she would bake all the time. We'd have a, a cake after dinner and, and um, I'm in the middle of three boys and, and how it went was we'd have to mark who got the corner, don't you know, because the corner has more icing. So it's whose turn is it to get the corner because there were four corners on the cake and three boys, so we had to keep track of that. So I'd get a piece of cake and nobody wanted the middle piece because there's not much icing there. But I'm not done. Before I go to bed, my mom would bake again six or eight chocolate chip cookies with some milk. I'm good. It's a wonder I wasn't a diabetic as a kid. But you want to know what? There were three 10-week periods when I was in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, which I said no to any sweets. And you need to know the situation. I was playing Little League football, and it was weight-controlled. And I was playing at the top of the weight class. And every, we played on Sundays, an hour before the game, that you'd go through weighing. And they'd set that scale. It was 105 when I was 10. And it was 125 when I was 11, 12. And they'd set it there. And you'd step on. If you're good, you go. If not, you step aside. And then at the end, they, they get an official weight. I did not want to miss playing in one of those games. When I was 12 years old, I was right at the top of the weight class. And I was literally the biggest fastest kid in the field. If you're going to play football, that is the way to play. I went out my freshman year. I was not the biggest or the fastest. It wasn't so much fun. But it was really fun when I was 12. So I didn't want to miss a game. So you know how many snacks I had during the week? Zero. Except after weigh-in, my parents would bring me a candy bar, and, you know, after, after I... Why did I cut cold turkey? Because I had something I wanted more. I wanted to play. See, God wants every area of our life, even our food, that we would be good stewards of our body. And food, though it's what we need to be sustained, can become an idol. Before I came over here, I was at Lincoln Berean. I became friend with a stewardship pastor, and he was hired on when I was there. And, and man, for four weeks... After his heart, his, his calendar was booked. Everybody wanted to meet with him because he, because their budget was out of control. And as he described the process, he said, you know, Andy, the math of budgeting, it's not hard. We're not talking trig. We're not talking calculus here. We're talking addition and subtraction and a little bit of division and multiplication, maybe. So the numbers of budgeting weren't hard. So we'd set a budget and here it is. And, and you come back and see me in two weeks. He said, you know what kind of follow-up I got from people? Two, 3%. See, the budgeting, it wasn't a math thing. It was an emotional, spiritual thing. Spending was meeting a need, and it was imprisoning people in debt. So somebody would go out with a closet full of clothes, would accessorize and buy 500 bucks worth of clothes. Well, that wasn't on your budget. Yeah, but I was feeling... Somebody would go out, and they'd, they'd buy a gun. No, never mind that they had six. Yeah, but I got it on sale. Yeah, but it wasn't on your budget. Unless we deal with the heart, the, the math didn't, didn't matter. You know, people will come to me from time to time, and they're dating, and they're involved, and they, they talk to me about morality, and they have all the reasons why they, they shouldn't, you know, they don't need to pay attention, whatever. And I just, I just, I just stop. 
what do, you, what do you believe about God? Do you believe he's the creator? Do you believe he's good? Well, if you believe those things, then you'd be taking steps to be pure before marriage. The fact that you're, you're not seeming to be interested in this tells me something's awry in your relationship with God. I could go through a whole list of things, but your obedience, my obedience, tells us about our spiritual health. It tells us how much God matters or how little God matters to us. Go back to our passage, verse 24 and 25. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. Why? Finally, we're going to get honest. Because I have feared the people and listened to their voice. Okay, finally. You put the people above God. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Saul, are you really interested in dealing with this issue? Verse 26, what Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go. Samuel turned to go. Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Saul said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Saul, verse 30, I have sinned. Listen, he's still, what does he want? But please honor me now before the elders of my people. He's not interested in getting right with God. He's interested in looking good. And go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Your heart hasn't changed. You still got people's approval before God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but once in a while, you get, do you ever get blindsided by the word of God? Well, this happened to me here. I, I, I'm reading this and I'm going through this. And here's the picture. I mean, Saul wants to be with Samuel to look good because Samuel's a spiritual giant. And I'm convicted. You know why? Because I'm like that with Blake Johnston, our worship pastor. We all realize he's a spiritual giant, like Samuel is. And I just want to look good to be in Blake's presence. So if you're a friend of Blake, you need to question your motives. Why are you hanging out with him? Really surprised me when God convicted me that way. Back to our text. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully, Nagag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Uh-uh, Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless. Again, Agag's not innocent. He's been murdering innocent people. So shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made king Saul king over Israel. Look, when there's blood pressure issues, my doctor says, okay, let's, let's talk about your diet. Let's talk about exercise. Let's talk about salt intake. Let's talk about... Okay, if you're anything like me, this text has raised issues. You've got obedience issues. 
that says God is not the priority he should be. I don't have a diet thing for you. I don't have an exercise regimen. I don't have a, I'm not going to ask you about your intake of salt. I've got Jesus for you. Jesus died for your disobedience and because of your disobedience. And he wants to empower you to live the way he lived, full devotion to the Father. Look, in Matthew 16, Jesus lays out the idea to Peter and the disciples, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. And here's, here's how Peter responds. Peter took him aside, him being Jesus, and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. Now, if Jesus is looking for a reason to blame, he's got Peter, right? Peter told me not to do it. If if Jesus is looking to rationalize, look, when, when the church started and Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter was the leader of the church. I mean, if you want to rationalize, hey, the leader of the New Testament church said I shouldn't do it. I mean, Jesus has an opportunity to rationalize and to blame, but that's not how it goes. Forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. How does Jesus respond? He turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. That's the Jesus I want to commend to you and to me. Jesus, would you build your character, your conviction, would you build you in me that I would turn my back on any time to blame? I would turn my back on any rationalization and I would embrace you above any other God. See, your obedience, my obedience is an indicator of our spiritual health. Saul's disobedience cost him his kingship. Samuel's obedience caused, caused Agag his life. Jesus' obedience, going to the cross, it paid your sin penalty and empowered you to live differently if you choose. If you would embrace this Jesus. So as a graduate student, I started stepping on my brakes and I get this grinding noise. And I don't, I'm, I'm not mechanically inclined. I don't know what it is. But I think it can't be good. But, but maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll go away. That's what I thought. But, but it didn't. Every time I kept sounding, it kept getting worse and worse. And I just think, this is not good. But I really didn't want to deal with it. And it kept going and going, and I just think, you know, this is, I, I probably need to deal with this. So I get this guy, Al, who was a friend of mine in Campus Crusade. He was mechanically inclined. I'd say, Al, I got this issue. He goes, let me ride with you. So we, we back out in my parking lot, and we go forward. I go about 15 feet, and I step on my brake. And he reaches across to me, and he said, congratulations, you need a brake job. What? What happened? He said, here's what I think happened. You, um... Your pads wore out on your brakes, and, and your, your, uh, the brads on that, the clamps, are, they're now digging into your rotors. That's, that's what I think is going on. Oh, what do I do? Oh, we'll do it. Well, we'll do it as Al doing it, and, and I watch. And, and he jacks it up, and he, we take the tires off, and I understand this brakes now. There's two pads there that clamp onto the thing, and, and they, they were indeed gone, and I had two big grooves in my rotors. And he said, this could get very expensive. We're going to take this to an um, auto sh 
supply store, and they're going to grind it down, but they're going to measure it first. And if you're too thin, you're going to have to buy new rotors, and that will be mucho dinero. So off we go. And, and I, just, I just made it. So they ground them down, and we're good. And, and so now, from now on, when my mechanic says, break job, it's kind of like, let's do it. And if I ever hear a grinding noise, it's kind of like, we're moving on it right now. What happened? I let the symptoms go too long. And I did unnecessary damage because I didn't want to face the truth. My brake pads are gone. I thought putting it off, it would go away. Look, your obedience, my obedience, if it's an issue. Don't put it off. It ain't going away. It's telling you. And it's telling me we got internal issues. And the longer we go, the more damage it's done. Know this. God is gracious. If you're still living, the door's open to repent and come back. When? Right now. Before it's too late. Our obedience is no little thing. It tells us everything about our spiritual health. Why does our obedience matter to God? It tells us how much or how little we value God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're sobered by your word. And it's not a pretty picture, but it's reality. We rationalize, we blame, we pretend. And all the while, our spiritual health is in jeopardy. How sad, given the fact that you've given us Jesus who has forgiven our sin and wants to empower us to leave, live differently. Lord, to the degree we've been turning a blind eye, ignoring our disobedience, we want to confess that to you. And we want to, at this day, move towards you, Jesus. Because what we can't do for ourselves, you can do. Lord, empower us that we don't blame. Empower us so that we don't rationalize. But instead obey you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.